the forbidden door of professional wrestling with heel turns and headlocks a podcast dedicated to all elite wrestling impact wrestling ring of honor and new japan pro wrestling hosted by bear DiGiulio and brian lapray Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of the Heel Turns and Headlocks Podcast. My name is Graham Bray, and with me, as always, my co-host with the most, the hung man from Chicago, the second city saint himself, Barry Shilina. I wish I was hung, man. <laughs> That's all I got. And I'll take already, the saint, we the, yeah, already we need the explicit tags to those that. Beyond our crippling insecurities we are here to talk about one of the hottest topics in all of professional wrestling and that of course is forbidden door now that is a term that if you have paid any amount of attention at all to professional wrestling you have heard pretty much ad nauseum over the course of the past i don't know year or two the opening of the forbidden door here comes kenta to team with kenny omega and here comes minoru suzuki and tomohiro ishii etc etc and even beyond the, the the realm of Japanese wrestling infiltrating AEW, here comes NWA and Impact and even a little MLW kind of barely, not really. It's just been a pretty wild experience. And funny thing is, I was speaking to my wife earlier, and she even mentioned how cool it is that people from other companies are actually on this show instead of pretending they don't exist, a concept. And because of that concept, Here we are. We are here in a world where roughly a month from now, depending on when you listen to this, AEW and New Japan Pro Wrestling will be holding a show together for the very first time. Now, if you're a wrestling historian, perhaps you know that in the past, ironically, New Japan Pro Wrestling held a show with the WWF. It's been a long 30 plus years, and here we finally are again, where major companies are not afraid to work together. Again, a novel concept. If you listen to this show, you know that we are quite fond of this idea for various reasons. One being that Bear loves AEW and the other being that I love New Japan Pro Wrestling. And here we are to talk about the combination of two of the driving forces of professional wrestling. And however you feel about wrestling versus sports entertainment, WWE has made it abundantly clear that they are sports entertainment, that they want to be known as sports entertainment. And we, as a certain segment of the fan base, love professional wrestling. And that's why this upcoming show in Chicago, Illinois, could potentially, I don't know, set the industry ablaze and also create new avenues for both of these companies to explore all of the vast possibilities that this industry has to offer. But rather than easing into that like they likely will, why don't we just go for the big splash. Why don't we just talk about the possibility that all of our wildest dream matches will all be held on the first ever show between AEW and New Japan Pro Wrestling. And Bear, that's why we, that's why we're here to talk about the topic at hand. And that is the five matches we need to see at Forbidden Door. And that ladies and gentlemen is how you bury the lead. Fucking love it. We're going to kick this off. I don't think this would open the show per se, because this is current AEW world champion, Adam Hank, the original hangman, hangman page taking on switchblade or what are they? I think uh, Chuck Taylor called him the knife pervert Jay white. Um, obviously this is a match that could main event. I don't think it would, but it could, because again, you look at Jay white's resume and brain will know it better than I would, but shout out to Wikipedia. IWGP heavyweight champion, IWGP intercontinental champion, never open weight champion, IWGP United States champion. Jay White's the first ever New Japan Grand Slam champion. Hangman is currently at, if my math is correct, one Google's math, 186 days currently as AEW world champion. Do Brian and I believe that Hangman will be AEW world champion by the time Forbidden Door comes to Chicago, which I, I'm God damn it, I'm going to go. June 26th, I don't think Hangman will be the world champion. We both believe that CM Punk, which will he be on this card? Find out soon. He will be. Spoiler alert. This match, again, 
could main event any of these matches that you know brand made this beautiful list any of these matches could main event this show but brand seeing jay white the leader of the bullet club question mark we believe that he is even though there's been kind of like these teases that adam cole is kind of like looking at like leading it again you've got the young bucks there you've got the good brothers i'd like to see the good brothers involved in some form even though they're technically impact wrestling i'm surprised there's no impact wrestling love on this forbidden door even though kenny was just impact world champion a couple of months ago kenny omega which by the way I hope he's healthy enough to be on this card. It'd be such a shame if the man that could, that almost single-handedly responsible for merging, not single-handedly, but like one of the driving forces that helped blend these two companies together. I know I'm getting off topic and we're going to talk about Kenny later, but it'd be such a shame if another former leader of the Bullet Club, Kenny Omega, was not on this card. But we're talking about another, the current leader of Bullet Club, Jay White, Switchblade, Knife Pervert. Taking on Adam Hangman Page and Brian. I know you're the New Japan guy of the podcast, so I'd love to hear what you'd have to say about Jay White and Adam Hangman Page because this, to me, again, could main event, should main event. Well, maybe not should, but I don't know. I, to me, this is this this is a no brainer. Like both of these guys on the card are a no brainer, but putting them together, putting them against each other, Adam Hangman Page, by the way, a former member of Bullet Club. So there's some there's some family matters here i guess you could say that we could really delve into absolutely and the reality of this matchup is it's about two wrestling prodigies you know hangman adam page 30 years old jay white 29 jay white has already main evented wrestle kingdom he's main evented madison square garden and oh there was a match after him jay white versus kuzuchko okada was the main event and we all know it. jay white is I mean, really, I can't say it enough. He's a prodigy. He's a guy who came over there, had immediate success against the highest level of competition in Kazuchika Okada, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Kenny Omega, beat all of them. And people sat there and went, why? Why is he having... This is why. Because it seems like it was yesterday, four years ago, when he came back, three years ago, crazy that it's only been three years, but also crazy that it's been three years, when he beat Kazushiko Okada at Wrestle Kingdom. This guy has just been on a steady ascension. And if you tracked his career, you know that he was mentored by none other than Alex Shelley. And he, like Alex Shelley, is just the complete package. He knows how to dissect an opponent. If you put him in the ring with a brawler, as sneaky and dastardly as he is, he will throw just as heavy of hands as anyone you put him in the ring with, which sounds just like Hangman Adam Page. If you want this to be a technical brawl, there are not many better technical wrestlers in the world than Jay White. This guy has every tool in the book he has the look he has the charisma and he has the versatility to wrestle anyone and more than anything he has despite only being 29 years of age the experience it's insane you're talking about a guy who has main evented the the wrestling venue in madison square garden the venue period in madison square garden and has main event of wrestle kingdom you're talking about a guy who has held his own or defeated everyone there is to defeat and that's why this match makes so much sense because within that AEW bubble you can say exactly the same thing about hangman adam page a guy who during his championship his championship reign well, he first had to beat Kenny Omega just to win the title. And then he went on to beat Brian Danielson. And then he went on to beat Adam Cole. He and, oh, Adam Cole, all these people talking down about Adam Cole, go away. Dude has been the guy in every company he's ever wrestled for. And he's not the big fish in the small pond because NXT was selling out all the same venues that we're giving other companies credit for selling out now. All I'm going to say about that. Adam Page and Jay White, this is a clash of basically the guys who are going to lead this industry for the next 10 years. And the reason I think that this match needs to happen is because this is what we're going to point back to five years down the line when everyone's saying, 
damn, you know what rematch really needs to happen now that these guys are multi-time world champions, now that they're arguably the two best wrestlers on the planet? This is why this match needs to happen now, because they are the faces of the industry in the future, and you can already argue that they're getting dangerously close to that position already today. You just talked about how these two guys are the, I guess you could say the future of professional wrestling. Let's transition to, I'd say, the current day gladiators of professional wrestling and match number two on this forbidden door dream card that we have. Brian Danielson, arguably one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. I think it's safe to say that we need, need, not want, we need to see him take on Kazushka Okada. Um, You know, the... We talk about matches writing themselves all the time, but Okada actually spoke about this match to Sports Illustrated just a few months ago. Um, Brian Danielson and CM Punk would make for some incredible matches, Okada said to Sports Illustrated. A lot of those dream match scenarios are about getting excited for the possibilities, and once the match is done, it's done. So it is important to keep that excitement and anticipation. I think still, if we wait too long, they'll both retire eventually. So I want to face them both while they're still active. We talked about it on the last episode. Um, go check that out when you have a chance. Spotify, Apple, all that good stuff. Just shelling the shit out of it. Um, Brian Danielson and CM Punk in particular don't have much time left, right? I mean, ideally they do, and they have long careers like Ric Flair. <laughs> Whatever. My point is both of those guys are going to retire eventually, right? So getting... Danielson ideally against Okada to me just makes the most sense. I mean, you look at Okada's resume. We we've talked about Brian Danielson's resume on this podcast numerous times before when we were volume, I guess, uh, and, uh heel turns and headlocks 1.0. Now we're 2.0 or it was technically 3.0, whatever. The point is we have talked about Brian Danielson's career, but like in WWE alone, he did literally everything except win a Royal rumble four time WWE champion, one time world champion, Intercontinental champion, U.S. champion, tag team champion, money in the bank, dude did it all, right? And then on the flip side, you have Okada, who currently holds the World Heavyweight Championship in New Japan, the IWGP Heavyweight Championship five times. He won the G1 Climax three times. He won the New Japan Cup two times. He's Okada is another one that's done it all. But when you talk about dream matches, you talk about dream scenarios. If we're going to get Okada in the United States on pay-per-view, for the forbidden door, there's really only a select few names that you can put them up against. Punk being obviously one of them, obviously. Kenny Omega would be another dope one, but I think, Brian, you're going to explain it better than I could, but seeing these two guys go one-on-one is Dream Match City, and I don't know, I don't believe, has this match ever happened before? No. Between the two? No, and Look, the thing is, I, I don't mean to put too high of expectations on this, but if there is any matchup possible to exceed what Kazuchika Okada and Kenny Omega did, this is the matchup. Taking it back a step. Kazuchika Okada, let me put it into perspective like this. A lot of people don't like this guy's takes, but I think they're valuable just to know that a match was at least worth watching. Kazuchika Okada has 22 five-star matches, according to Dave Meltzer. You want more of a community view? How about this? On cagematch.net, a widely utilized resource for rated matches, there are currently 21 matches with a rating of 9.70 or better. Seven of them, 33%, include Kazuchika Okada. Okada is the wrestler. Everything that is said about Randy Orton being the guy that you build to build a sports entertainer. I believe it. But Kazuchika Okada is everything and more. He has the look. He has the size. He has the strength. He has the versatility. I have seen this man put on classic matches against explosive athletes like Kenny Omega and Cody Ibushi. I've seen him put on classic matches against brawlers like Minoru Suzuki and Tomohiro Ishii. I've seen him bring the absolute best out of everyone. I've seen, in my opinion, five-star matches against everyone from AJ Styles to Zack Sabre Jr. There is so much variety 
in what Kazuchika Okada brings to the table because he is so easy to wrestle because he just doesn't seem to miss. You're talking about a guy who, before he was even 30, before he was even 30, and he's only 34, people were already talking about him as one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. And now that he's back on top as the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, he's not slowing down. He's not showing signs of rust. If anything, he's refined his craft. And even in a day of crowds that cannot be vocal, he's still putting on classics. His match against Will Ospreay at Wrestle Kingdom this year is arguably the match of the year so far. And it wasn't even his only match of that caliber. Matches with Tetsuya Naito and Zack Sabre Jr. right up there as well. He's killing it steadily. He's about to wrestle Jay White, by the way, for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. But you're talking about Okada, a guy who at 34, and even roll that back a little because the last time he held the IWGP Heavyweight Championship was the second night of Wrestle Kingdom 14, which was 2020. So at 32 years old, Kazuchika Okada was already number one all time in title defenses and days as champion. A title that's been held by Hiroshi Tanahashi, Keiji Muto, Tatsumi Fujinami, icons and titans of professional wrestling. Even if you haven't watched these wrestlers, Shinya Hashimoto, I can guarantee you, especially if you're an AEW fan, whoever your favorite wrestlers are in AEW are fans of these people. Okada outdid them all. When you could argue he hadn't even reached his prime yet, he is the main event player of our generation. You put him in a big match and you just sit back and enjoy it because you know it's going to be incredible. And if that sounds familiar, it's probably because it sounds like I'm talking about another guy who that rings true about. And that, of course, is Brian Danielson. WWE, Ring of Honor, PWG, AEW, Pro Wrestling. No, it doesn't matter. Brian Danielson has been putting on classics and clinics for, what, 20 years? I've seen him wrestle incredible matches against a wider variety of wrestlers than almost anyone I've ever seen. I mean, he's had classic matches with Nigel McGuinness, Chris Hero, and Kenta. He's also had a classic match with Bray Wyatt. He's also had a classic match with John Cena. That's not to say that they're any less of his competitors, but obviously incredibly different. I mean, look at his first year in AEW. I mean, he had all-time classics, you can argue, against Kenny Omega, Hangman Page, and Eddie Kingston, three wrestlers who are nothing alike. This, to me, is the match in professional wrestling if we're never going to get aj styles and kenny omega and sadly it seems like we won't this is the match this is the main event on any card in any country on the planet in any venue and if it doesn't sell out a show what is wrong with us as wrestling fans because you're talking about doing what i think we all agree is what should happen in big matches you're talking about taking the two biggest stars with the necessary alignment of being justifiably great in the ring to create the matchup sorry for the shot at wwe but we all know that sometimes they only value the star power it is what it is everybody likes a certain kind of wrestling no judgment bottom line is danielson has been at the top of the industry for a long long time in different segments of the industry If there are still people out there who, for some reason, don't want to see him win the AEW World Championship, despite the fact that they unanimously agree that Kenny Omega is pretty much the only guy on the roster who can argue that he's better than him, do you. But if you're telling me I can get Brian Danielson versus Kazuchika Okada without any time restraints in the main event of a pay-per-view in a major arena, I will drive to that arena to see that happen. Eat your heart out, Michael Jordan. You thought this was the house, the United Center was the house that Michael Jordan built? 
<laughs> Fuck that. If we're going to get Brian Danielson versus Okada. Speaking of Chicago, I guess that's a good little segue. There you because, go. you know, Jordan, United Center. Punk. Phil Brooks. The man known as CP Punk or CM Punk, whatever the fuck he is. Our pick to be the future AEW world champion. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Um, Look, you could put him in the ring with anyone in particular, right? He's one of the best in the world. I think we all know that. But putting him up against a man that I believe he's a record six-time IWGP Intercontinental Champion. He also held both championships simultaneously. The first to ever do that in New Japan, by the way, the World Championship and the Intercontinental Championship. That's right. I'm not even going to bother saying, well, I'll try. Lost ignorable. How do you fucking say that? Fucking. Ignorable. Ingovernable. I am trying that one. The The ungovernables of Japan. There you go. I'm just going to go ahead and just say the ungovernables because I thought they were dope when Andrade was in there, which I miss when Andrade was relevant. Anyway, Tetsuya Naito. Fucking A. Well, we don't know if he was under the mask, but I think we're just going to go ahead and assume. But is that a Sami Zayn thing too? Or it no? could be a generico thing. Who got referenced yeah. tonight on Dynamite? That was nice. I, I, You know what? Make that bread, Sami Zayn. Fuck it. Look, CM Punk against Tetsuya Naito, to me, another one of those dream matches. I just talked about how Naito was the first man to hold simultaneously hold the world championship and intercontinental championship. Naito has quite the impressive resume himself. We talked about the six IWGP intercontinental championship reigns, the three-time heavyweight championship reigns. He's won the tag team championships twice, the junior heavyweight tag team championships once. Never open weight championship. He won the G1 Climax twice. He won the New Japan, New Japan Cup once. Putting him up against a future Hall of Famer wherever Hall of Fames matter in the world of professional wrestling. CM Punk, I mean, look, again, our pick to be the future AEW world champion. Having him go into the United Center as world champion, you could put him in the ring with anyone. But putting him up against such a, I don't want to call him a charismatic enigma, but like Naito to me is such a, that character is so cool. I don't even have to understand what the fuck he's saying. He's just such a badass. Seeing those two, those those styles clashing, pun intended, shout out AJ Styles, seeing those two guys clashing in the ring would just be super dope to see. Obviously, you know, we're not going to do a predictions thread here, but I would see CM Punk obviously taking this dub here. But I think it'd be entertaining as shit. It'd be such a good wrestling. It'd be a good wrestling match overall. And Brian, you're the you're the big New Japan guy, so I'm gonna give it to you. But Punk versus Naito. I mean, another one. You know, we the term dream match. We've talked about it on this podcast. It's so loosely thrown around, right? Okada versus Danielson is an obvious dream match, but Naito versus Punk. It while it's not like one of those. Oh my god, we need to see it. I think it'd just be. It'd just be cooler to see than anything. Don't you agree? Absolutely. And the thing about Naito that I love in this matchup is that these are two guys who in different ways were not supposed to have the success that they have. When Tatsuya Naito first came back from Excursion to New Japan Pro Wrestling, he was rejected by the fans. He was booed mercilessly. And when you watch him and you see these little heel characteristics slowly peeking through while he's still putting on incredible matches by the way it's almost reminiscent of that famous cm punk interview where punk talks about the fact that vince asked him do you think you can be a heel that was like the experience of when tessa united went on a second excursion to mexico found this ungovernable character and became a phenomenon he is including okada he's the most popular wrestler in new japan pro wrestling it's said over and over again and it's true he is brash and arrogant and a master of psychological warfare which again sounds like cm punk 
this matchup is pretty much all about the guys who have always played second fiddle to the guy, despite being the most popular wrestler in the company. CM Punk at one point was selling just as much merch as John Cena, but he was never given that platform. We've heard about it. We've heard it from him. We've heard it from others. We've seen the numbers. Tetsuya Naito has been more popular than Kazuchika Okada, but has not experienced the same level of success. Obviously, both of these guys are still multi-time world champions. They're faces of their generations and their respective companies and, and I guess, countries and overall industries. I just think it would come down to something beautiful of two guys who have wrestled their entire careers with chips on their shoulders, looking to just go out there and probably look at it and go, go ahead, give Danielson and Okada the main event. We'll steal the show. And then if they're good enough, they'll one up us. And Hey, I think they're good enough to do it, but I think that would be the beauty of this card is to, Put these like-minded individuals together. Put these wrestlers together who have similar backstories, who have similar career experiences, both highs and lows, to kind of show how similar professional wrestling truly is and maybe highlight the differences in each company that maybe each company can learn from the other, but also maybe can show fans of one product a view into something else and how it's presented and how it's utilized from a story perspective, albeit with two completely different formulas. I think it would be, this is the kind of match that would make new, new Japan fans and would also make new AEW fans. And I think that's because these characters have always felt so raw and so real because by the way, Tetsuya Naito one of the best storylines in all of professional wrestling history is one that I don't think gets enough credit. And that is the fact that when Naito was supposed to wrestle Okada for the IWGP heavyweight championship at Wrestle Kingdom, they conducted a fan vote in which the fans actually selected the match between Shinsuke Nakamura and Hiroshi Tanahashi, which was for the intercontinental championship, a great valuable title, but second to the heavyweight championship to actually usurp them and main event the show instead. They got bumped out of the main event for the intercontinental title. So what did Tetsuya Naito do? He made it his life's mission to hold that intercontinental title and beat the shit out of it. He would throw it against the ring post. He'd spit on it. He'd stomp on it. He'd throw it halfway across the venue. He didn't care. And full circle, when Cody Ibushi unified the titles, who was the guy who wrestled to save the Intercontinental Championship from disappearing? Tetsuya Naito. Long-term storytelling is a beautiful thing. And that was a quick aside. I just love that story so much. But Tetsuya Naito, CM Punk, you're talking about two guys who just operate outside the lines that we know people should operate within. And really, their popularity their charisma, their wrestling ability, everything. They're two of the greatest of their time, if not of all time. And quite frankly, if that's your co-main event, if that's the one that sets the stage for Danielson and Okada, you can bet your ass they're going to go out there and do everything in their power to have the match of the night. It's hard to... So this whole card, like, this whole card to me just has a bunch of main events that just they could realistically be main events, right? We're making the claim for all of these matches could potentially be the main event of the card. And up next, we have a match that's been seemingly years in the making, right? I mean, John Moxley, former AEW world champion. I'm not going to go down his resume because it's long. So is his opponent that we believe he'll have at the forbidden door. And that is Hiroshi Tanahashi. Um, you were actually at... New Japan Pro Wrestling's show, um, what was it Capital Pun- Capital Collision? And originally, I believe these two were slated to have a singles match, but I believe it got changed to a fatal four way, which we ended up seeing Juice Robinson, CJ Parker. I'm so cool. I use both names. I'm just a fucking dork. Become the new IWGP United States Champion. Um, but. Before that, John Moxley actually cut a promo at Windy City Riot. I should have been there. I was not. But prior to Capital Collision, previously, you know, a couple of weeks ago now, um, Moxley said to Tanahashi, 
This is your last chance to accept my challenge. We can shake hands, sign a contract, and meet one another in Washington, D.C., or we do it the hard way, and I drag your ass to Washington by your fucking ponytail. Moxley also declared himself the new ace of New Japan. So this one, above all of the other matches, is probably the most personal, I'd say, just because of Moxley's claims. Moxley's been calling Tanahashi out for a while now. We saw him call him out after he lost the IWGP United States Championship to Lance Archer on Dynamite. What was that, like last year already? Man, time flies. But this match, this match has been writing itself. Uh, we haven't gotten them in singles competition yet because, uh, you know, again, they changed that match to a fatal four-way for the for the championship where Juice Robinson ended up winning. New Bullet Club member, by the way. Everybody's in Bullet Club for, 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 for life, I guess. I don't fucking know. But Tanahashi, arguably, he calls himself the ace of New Japan. I, I think that's safe to say he's what, you know, to me, if we're doing a WWE versus, like, I think it's safe to say Tanahashi is the John Cena of New Japan, right? And to compare anybody to John Cena, I don't know if you guys know this, but I think he's one of the greatest of all time. But this ain't a WWE podcast, bear. Shut the fuck up. Tanahashi is the John Cena of New Japan. John Moxley, I don't even know if there's a comparison other than that he's just the John Moxley. To me, I wholeheartedly believe Moxley's going to become the first two-time AEW champion. He kind of got screwed over in his first reign, and by that I mean it was literally in the smack dab in the middle of the pandemic he wasn't able to really utilize his he moxley's a promo guy first and foremost i love blackpool comedy club i love what they're doing i think he and danielson are both future world champions in aew like i said moxley to me is going to be the first two-time world champion but seeing these two go at it at at forbidden door i think is the epitome of what forbidden door is all about it's two guys that are at the top of their game with Moxley, it's always a not a bloodbath, but it's always a fight, not a wrestling match. To have those two clash of styles, we talk about clash of styles here often, but Moxley being that brawler, Tanahashi being that, you know, to me, he's a more he's on the technical side of things, obviously, but he can also he he adapts to any style. So watching those two brawl at Forbidden Door would be really cool. And again, another one of those matches where you could realistically main event it, don't you think? Absolutely. They have the most history of any of these matchups. This is a match that, like you said, is thankful. It was supposed to happen for pretty much three years, but between COVID and injuries and this and that, it just never did. This is the chance to change that. And after what happened at Capital Collision, like you said, it seems inevitable. The other cool element of this, though, is that Hiroshi Tanahashi's story right now is almost like a crisis of identity. If you look at recently, he's won championships, but he's dropped them quickly. You're talking about a guy who used to win championships and hold them for months on end, if not a full year. Suddenly he's losing them on first defense. And one of the great stories that has come out of this is actually that he is questioning himself. He is questioning whether his typical approach that he's had for so many years can still garner the success that he's aiming to achieve. And on some level it has, but then you look at matches like the Wrestle Kingdom brutal battle with Kenta, where he wrestled a hardcore match that was out of his comfort zone and he won. But then he wrestles the technical style against Sonata, the style that he's comfortable wrestling. And he loses. He wrestles Tomohiro Ishii recently, what I consider a five-star match and so far my match of the year. The beauty of that match was Tanahashi wrestled like Ishii and Ishii wrestled like Tanahashi. They made each other work differently. And guess what? Tanahashi wrestled outside of his comfort zone and he won. And I think that is the appeal of this entire rivalry between he and John Moxley is John Moxley, plain and simple, he's going to make you do things that you might not typically do because with John Moxley, it is basically survival of the fittest. He's going to brutalize you and force you to brutalize him. And at capital collision, lo and behold, Hiroshi Tanahashi put John Moxley through a table. That's not typical Tanahashi behavior. He likes the clear cut, clean cut professional wrestling more so than any other inclusion. 
or variation, if you will. And I think that's what makes this match so interesting. Obviously, John Moxley world traveled incredibly successful everywhere he's been wwe champion AEW world champion iwgp united states heavyweight champion etc cetera, etc cetera. tanahashi legitimately in the goat discussion i just think that the reason this match needs to happen is not only the incredible build over time that we've seen but also the payoff of the fact that tanahashi probably wouldn't be comfortable and that is when he seems to produce his best results. And Moxley, well, he said it at the Capital Collision show after it went off the air. I was lucky enough to be there to see it. And he said, I hate his guts, but damn it, Tanahashi is one of the greatest of all time. And if that doesn't tell you why these two need to fight at Forbidden Door, I don't know what will. Transitioning to the next match, there's no Forbidden Door. Without, obviously, Tony Khan, hire us. Wink, wink, nudge, 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 wink, wink. But there's no forbidden door without Tony Khan, and there's no forbidden door without Kenny Omega, right? Now, we don't know Kenny's status heading into forbidden door. We don't know how the rehabilitation stuff is going. I mean, when he left just a few months ago, he mentioned that he had a lot of stuff to fix. I don't exactly know how many surgeries he needed or how much rehab he had to do but that man was fucking broken and i don't i'm not talking about matt hardy that kenny was just all around just broken and beaten and i mean he was world champion in what like three or four different promotions at the same time that's that alone has got to take a toll on your body and plus he was a star in new japan prior to aew and as we all know new japan style not necessarily one that's easy on the body. You know what I mean? They, for all intents and purposes, you know, Brain and I a couple of months ago watched an Ishii match, and I'll admit, prior to that, I didn't watch too much of New Japan, but watching Ishii in particular just dissect and beat the fuck out of everybody in his way, to me, the, what do they call him, the Stone Pitbull? I mean, he made a fan that night in Bear. I'll tell you what, but that style in particular had to have beaten the fuck out of Kenny Omega, which is why he had to go away for a couple months. And seeing him at Forbidden Door would be really cool. Again, we don't know exactly the status, but while Kenny was holding the World Championship in Impact, he was holding the old TNA World Title. He was holding he was holding the Triple A World Title and the AEW World Championship all at the same time. During that time, the man that we're about to talk about, Shingo Takagi, am I saying that right? Yep. He was he was the New Japan Pro Wrestling IWGP Heavyweight Champion at that point. So it was feasible at one point for this match to have already happened. Kenny, the belt collector, could have went on to face Takagi for the title. Obviously, that didn't happen. But this is another one of those matches where Brian you could put Kenny in, in there with anyone. I mean, to me, he, he alongside Tony Khan, they, I mean, and the, the young bucks, obviously, but like they are the forbidden door all in doesn't happen without Kenny, the young bucks, Cody, obviously hangman all taking a gamble on themselves. AEW doesn't become a thing without all in all in doesn't happen without the ties to new Japan. You know, all in was such a dope pay-per-view by the way. And now we're getting, forbidden door because of i'm not going to say it's it all lies in the hands of kenny omega or it's because of kenny but kenny was one of those factors it'd be such a shame if he wasn't on this card so again realistically you could put it you could put kenny in there with a bushy you could put kenny in there against jay white which i think that was kind of what it was leading to little bullet club war ties and all that good stuff but brian seeing kenny against shingo fuck Another one of those matches where, you know, you talked about it before, how certain guys just adapt to styles. Kenny Omega would adapt to Shingo's style, and these two would, to me, they'd probably just, for all intents and purposes, just beat the ever-living fuck out of each other. Pretty much. Uh, look, Shingo Takagi and Kenny Omega, I think another two wrestlers who have interestingly similar backstories. You know, for a long time, Shingo Takagi was arguably the ace of dragon gate you know he was 
the powerhouse of Dragon Gate. So even if he wasn't the ace, you can't deny with the amount of success that he experienced, with the caliber of matches that he was putting on with every variety of opponent, he was the guy. You know, he was the attraction because he was unlike really anyone else in that company. And he gambled on himself and he became a free agent and he went to all Japan pro wrestling and competed in champion carnival, which was a huge departure and a huge risk because he was essentially the giant junior heavyweight. And he was now going into a land of giants against true heavyweights and some super heavyweights and trying to prove that my smash mouth in your face, physical style can still work. And he did. And it worked. And then he went to new Japan pro wrestling and they put him again with the junior heavyweights, possibly to just, ease that transition and slowly but surely the dude was just churning out banger after banger after banger his best of the super junior final against will osprey is one of the greatest matches in wrestling history and then he transitions to the heavyweight scene through the never open weight championship had an incredible rivalry with hiroki goto has had years of instant classics with tomohiro ishii has had great matches with tanahashi and okada and now unfortunately it was during the pandemic but he was the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. And when that belt was cursed and it seemed like Ibushi lost it right away and then he got sick and with pneumonia and then Osprey wins the title and he gets injured and it just felt like the belt was cursed. Shingo took it and brought validity to it and brought significance to it and prestige. And much like Moxley did for AEW when the pandemic happened and crowds could not be present or could not cheer shingo played that same role and he carried new japan pro wrestling through 2021 and there were other wrestlers obviously who helped but he was the flag bearer at a time where kazuchika okada seemed to be figuring out what the next chapter of his career would look like at a time when key key figures could not even be in the country because of covid restrictions including jay white who we talked about including a will osprey you know crucial crucial wrestlers were either injured or just sidelined through no reason no fault of their own he took on that burden of leading the company and he did it and he was incredibly successful and whether he's been a junior heavyweight or a heavyweight he's wrestled any style that you've asked him to he has adapted to everyone all the while bringing this incredible blend of power and velocity there's just such snap in everything that he does and it makes everything feel so much more impactful and that obviously sounds a lot like mr kenny omega and really the reason that we landed on this match is well for one let's just call a spade a spade it's one of the few matches that we haven't seen kenny omega wrestle yet and that's because if you didn't watch new japan before watching AEW, kenny omega wrestled everyone there was to wrestle in new japan pro wrestling unfortunately shingo arrived around the time that kenny omega departed and they just never crossed paths these guys are so similar despite their differences in their moveset you know shingo takagi is a lot more grounded in everything he does while kenny omega is you know a little more aerial in his attacks even his strikes have a little bit more height on them if you will they're so similar just in the intensity that they bring in the adaptability that they bring in the fact that they've traveled these paths where Kenny Omega, much like Shingo was the guy in Dragon Gate, Kenny Omega came up through DDT. It's a great story just to look at two guys who have basically gambled on themselves and seen it pay off beyond their wildest imaginations. A, that's awesome. B, I think it makes for a fantastic platform to build this story on Shingo Takagi very much in that best in the world discussion. Kenny Omega, obviously the same. And look, you could say this about all five matches so far. This could steal the show. This could main event. This could be the one that everyone walks away from. Sorry about that. This could be the one that everyone walks away from forbidden door and simply says, that is the match I'm going to remember for the next 10 years of my life. And I think that is the beauty of this Forbidden Door show is that you have so many captivating matchups. And 
maybe some of these matches, not necessarily that we said, but that will be booked, will be rematches from a few years back or something like that. There's nothing wrong with that either. You know, great wrestlers wrestling again. I'm, I'm not going to get upset over that. You know, great matches come in all different shapes and sizes. But if we're talking about first time ever matches, I think these five so far are the ones that we would love to see. And then, well, the honorable mention is one that I would love to just expand the list to six for because I want to see it just as bad as the rest. Big meaty men slapping meat. Oh, yeah. But they're not just slapping meat, motherfucker. They're, they're, they're beat. They, they, we talked about a couple of matches that, you know, the, the two men would just beat the ever living fuck out of each other. I don't think any match on this card compares to the match that we're about to fucking say, which is current reigning and defending undisputed ring of honor world television champion Samoan Joseph or California Joseph from California, not Samoa. What the fuck? Taking on a man that I just recently talked about who made a fan out of me just a couple of months ago with Brian over Zoom one night when we were just watching some wrestling. Another former ring of honor world television champion. Tomohiro That's a Ishii. good call. I didn't even think of that. Wikipedia. Fucking love <laughs> it. Dude, so to me, like all of these matches, dream matches, right? This match in particular, for me personally, because I, again, we just, we watched Ishii a couple of months back on Zoom, the two of us, which maybe we should do some watch-alongs. I think that'd be fun. That'd be cool. One day we'll be on YouTube. That will be on YouTube one day, folks. Yeah. And then you can see our beautiful faces. Well, Brian's beautiful face and Bears, meh, whatever. So Ishii's like 5'7 and like 220 pounds, right? Yeah. He's a short dude. But when you look at him in the ring, holy fuck. That's a guy, if you see him in an alley, even if you're in the fucking mean streets of Chicago or up in New York like Brian is, you see a guy like Ishii in the fucking alley, dude, you're fucked. Yeah, yeah. That man is just gonna beat the ever-living shit out of you that's there's a reason why they call him the stone pit bull right i mean <laughs> these two guys though in particular putting that intensity in the match putting that just it's it's hard hitting it's hard hitting the new japan style in particular or i guess strong style is what they call it ishii like resent like what's the word i'm looking for strong style is ishii's style and putting him against Samoa Joe, who, by the way, throws a mean chop. You know, it's it's to me, this is a fucking big meaty men slap and meat match made in heaven. We've seen Samoa Joe succeed everywhere he's gone. Ring of Honor, TNA, obviously. he To me, he's on the Mount Rushmore of TNA slash Impact Wrestling, whatever you want to call it. He's also one of the guys that is probably one of the only three-time NXT champions, if I'm correct. Maybe alongside Nakamura, I believe. Two-time United States champion, Dusty Rose Tag Team Classic winner. Everywhere Joe's gone, we talk about this a lot with like Adam Cole, everywhere Joe has gone as well, he's succeeded. And he's become one of the guys. He's one of the flag bearers for the current Ring of Honor brand, which, again, we don't really know what's going on with Ring of Honor. We just know that their titles are represented on AEW television, which I think is really cool. Seeing these two go head to head to me is worth the fucking price of admission alone, right? I mean, again, I, I said this maybe like four times already, but big meaty men slapping meat. Fucking love it. I need it, love it in my veins. Inject it. <laughs> I, I made this comment earlier. If you remember, uh, the professional wrestlers that you love in AEW, Ring of Honor, etc are likely diehard fans of Japanese professional wrestling. Samoa Joe is that very much so, much along the lines of Brian Danielson and Eddie Kingston and John Moxley, etc. Joe, by the way, I will reference the match to give you a baseline of why this battle needs to happen. In 2005, Samoa Joe wrestled a five-star match against Kenta Kobashi. The name of the pay-per-view, very simple, Ring of Honor, Joe versus Kobashi. It was one of the most important matches in professional wrestling history. That is the match that led to, well, the fun little tidbit is Kenza Kabashi, arguably the greatest of all time, was afraid to come over and wrestle for Ring of Honor because he didn't think anyone would know who he is. Samoa Joe convinced him to do so. And that match had 
basically the independent wrestling equivalent of a Hogan versus rock level crowd. It was incredible. And they beat the hell out of each other. And that was that. And the very next night, they actually had a great tag team match with Homicide and Loki. Also worth checking out. Both of these matches are on YouTube. If you have the time, check them out. They're fucking awesome. My point is that match led to Kenta Kabashi going back to pro wrestling Noah and essentially that bond being forged between Noah and Ring of Honor as strong as it was, which gave us Kenta and Amichi Marafuji and Katsuhiko Nakajima, guys who John Moxley himself has said, and I quote, if you were a wrestler during my era, you stole your shit from Kenta. And that's true about Marafuji and Nakajima as well. I know a lot of times people go, oh, Meltzer, Japanese wrestling is overrated. Japanese wrestling has directly influenced everything in professional wrestling today, WWE, AEW, whatever. And the reason I'm referencing this is because Samoa Joe has a massive hand in forging that relationship between the Japanese wrestling scene and the American independent wrestling scene, which now you can basically just call, I don't know, AEW. The point here is if there is somebody on this roster who just in terms of what they do in the ring fits a battle with Tomohiro Ishii, it is Samoa Joe. For that reason alone, I'd love to see this match. But much like the Capital Collision match between Eddie Kingston and Ishii, the beauty goes beyond how much of a natural fit they are just stylistically and crosses into these guys are Japanese wrestling super fans. They would cherish the opportunity to wrestle a match like this against Tomohiro Ishii doesn't want you to call him a legend because it sounds like you're saying he's done with his career, but whatever the more appropriate, he won't beat the shit out of me for saying it version of legend is that is what Ishii is. Ishii is another one of those wrestlers who, you know, he's known for his chops and his forearms and suplexes and it's straightforward. But the beauty of his game is that he adapts and he does what his opponent dictates and he reacts and he's willing to wrestle your style until you disrespect him. And then he just punishes you for it. But if you're worried about how Tomohiro Ishii might fare against a bigger opponent, a heavier opponent than he is. How will he do that when he's only 5'7", 220 pounds? I point you to Revolution Pro Wrestling Global Wars 2017, when Tomohiro Ishii wrestled Keith Lee and gave Keith Lee the best match that he has ever wrestled in his career. Cage match will confirm that. Keith Lee will confirm that. It was a unique brand of David versus Goliath. And I think we could see something like that. I think we could see something evenly matched. I think the beauty is, despite what we know will happen in terms of raw physicality, there are so many different directions that this match can go to. And I promise you, if you have never seen Tomohiro Ishii sell a sleeper hold, that is like bucket list wrestling shit, because that dude will be spitting up saliva and everything. It is a sight to behold. And Coquina Clutch, here we come. Oh, the the visual I see it already, and I'm like, hard. I guess that's salivating. Yeah, I'm I'm salivating at the idea, but then I'm thinking of like Ichi's fucking saliva, and I'm like, eh, maybe I'm not salivating per se, but you know. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that was our list. Of course, I mean, I guess that was technically the honorable mention, but like we have a couple of more honorable mentions that we won't go too much into detail about. But like, when you look at AEW's roster in particular, how do you not include? Darby Allen on this card in any way, shape, or form. Former TNT champion, arguably, you know, I mean, not arguably, he's one of the four pillars. Although, maybe we should do an episode on the pillars and who we think are pillars and shit like that. Uh, next week, no, we're previewing double or nothing. One day we're gonna preview the fucking pillars. However, Darby Allen, <laughs> one of the four pillars of AEW. Seeing him in the ring against Hiromu Takahashi to me would be fucking money. I think that's a match we need to see. Brain, another match that to me we need to see big meaty men slapping meat. Jeff Cobb and Keith Lee. Poof, buddy. Sign me the fuck up. Yeah. I, I know you got a couple of other matches on this list that you wanted to rattle off before we um exited today. And yeah. uh I want you to take it away with with a tag team match. We haven't talked about any tag team wrestling lately, but we got a tag team match that Brain's about to mention, aren't we? Yeah. 
We do. First, I'll just say Darby Allen versus Hiromu Takahashi. If you love Darby and Jeff Hardy, you will love this match because these are two wrestlers who don't give a shit about their own safety. Uh, Jeff Cobb, Keith Lee, obviously, as Bear said, two meaty men slapping meat and two meaty men who move in ways that those meaty bodies should not be able to move. The tag team matches, I, think- I look like I look like Keith Lee and I, I can't move a fraction of the way he does. <laughs> God bless him. God bless him. That's all I got to fucking say. Hey. He's a unique individual. And speaking of unique, uh, well, maybe, yeah, I'd say it's pretty unique. Tag team action. Dangerous Techers versus FTR. Dangerous Techers, the team of Tai Chi and Zack Sabre Jr. I don't think anybody thought that that team made any kind of sense. And then all of a sudden they became one of the best tag teams in the world. Zack Sabre Jr., arguably the best technical wrestler on the planet. Obviously, a match between him and Brian Danielson is essential as well. That could Pretty much, honestly, if that happened instead of him and Okada, I would sleep like a baby. I wouldn't bat Sign me the fuck up. Yeah. Sign me up. Absolutely. But the 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 foundation of the tag team match, Dangerous Techers, FDR, two kind of old school style tag teams where they know how to push the pace, but they wrestle a very strategic style. They pick you apart and the two partners complement each other beautifully. I think that would be an incredible match. And then the other tag team match, got to have the Young Bucks on the card. Impossible to not have them. Also, I already apologized that we didn't put Osprey on the card. I feel like a dick, but let's just put it with the whole referee screwing him over angle and pretend to skate it. Uh, but Young Bucks versus El Desperado and Yoshinobu Kanemaru. Desperado and Kanemaru, a very interesting tag team. Kanemaru, a legend of the junior heavyweight tag, uh, junior heavyweight division in general, arguably the greatest GHC junior heavyweight champion ever, which is pro wrestling. Noah has basically taken El Desperado under his wing and taught him the tricks of the trade. And they have become probably the most dominant junior heavyweight tag team in new Japan. So why not put them up against the young bucks who once were the most dominant tag team? I know these teams have crossed paths, but I think it would be awesome for the American audience to see a just how good El Desperado is now because he has become one of the best wrestlers in the world. B to appreciate Kanemaru as the legend he is, and also see see the Young Bucks in a match against an opponent that will really try to negate their strengths. And I think that is when the Bucks are at their best. So that is our card for you, ladies and gentlemen. That is ten matches, and obviously we'll find something for Osprey. I'm sorry, I feel like a jerk. He. He is arguably the best wrestler in the world right now. I'm not going to say he is or isn't. Don't get mad at me. But let's just go and say Andrade El Idolo versus Will Ospreay. You know you want to see it. We'll leave it at that. On that note, Mr. LaPrey, I think I got some fucking merch to shill. Shill away, baby. T-Public. That's right. The official new logo of Heel. Well, not new. Newish, it's black and red now. It's fucking cool. Tpublic.com forward slash, you guessed it, heel turns and headlocks. They've got hoodies. They've got t shirts. They've got kids' shirts. That's right. I'm going to order one ah. for my fucking child. Dude. They've got stickers. They've got, I said hoodies already. They've got fucking, they've got a lot of shit on T Public. So if you guys, if you guys want to support heel turns and headlocks, you do so by going to tpublic.com. And pretty soon I'll be able to show some more shit. Until then, it's just t-shirts. So yeah. Brian, that's all I got. If you want to take these young guy, young cats home, let's uh let's uh let's take it home, as they let's say in the world of pro wrestling. Home. Well, first take and foremost, home. thank you everyone for uh tuning in, listening to us, indulging us, if you will. And uh, giving coming, us a coming chance. Coming back for the ride. Coming back for the ride. We appreciate the support. We uh, we know it's been a wild journey, but we appreciate every ounce of support you've given us. And because of that, we're just going to keep on churning out episodes and building the brand. And as Bear said, you'll see us on YouTube at some point, And we'll go from there. And in the meantime, let's all enjoy the beautiful thing that is professional wrestling. And really just stay safe out there, everybody. Life is crazy. COVID's crazy. People are going crazy. And uh, just stay safe. Be happy. And, you know, as they say, if you can't do anything else, keep on loving professional wrestling. Did you do that last episode?
I didn't. I just remembered what the catchphrase was. Fuck. Oh my God. I know where I'm supposed to say boom and I'll say boom in a second, but God, that was beautiful. I like nostalgia. <laughs> nostalgia just fucking started kicking in. I'm like, oh, this was fucking. I just. There is one that single made me a tear string, streaming down from Bear's Eye right now. I am. I don't know if it's a tear or I'm a rector, both, but fuck. On that the note, <laughs> the best on that note, of all. the erection and the tear? God damn it. Yeah. Weird. However, what a um, way to end the episode. Just boom and get, keep put it, us keep, out of our misery. <laughs> I just I I just did on that note again. Fuck you. Boom. Thanks for listening. Catch us on Twitter at heel underscore turns underscore pod and on Instagram at heel turns and headlocks. We'll see you next Thursday. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.